0: so the listening open attention receptivity relaxation <clears throat> well, i hope during this this particular period that you begin to really know the difference between you know i say mindfulness or intuitive awareness, and then the consciousness that is filled with thoughts. So that make it very clear, you know, because <laughs> most, most people the. Their world is a is a, their thinking process defined and judged and experienced through thinking. And since there is such a strong desire to figure everything out, and we do that with thinking, try to uh, you know get. Th- Exactly what do you mean by mindfulness, consciousness? Then all the other various ways, uh, entanglement of the thought process and the doubts that arise from it and the conceits and the separation, the suffering. The dukkha. Just a thought of me, just two letter word me, has a strong emotional sense to it. What about me? My rights, my my opinions, my feelings. What about my feelings? Do you respect me? And this kind of demand that uh, seems to be so aligned with this sense of me and mine. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to say one shouldn't think like this, but to be aware of this and so that this uh, awareness is aware of, of the thought me in mind but is not me in mind it's, it's, no, it's not defined or claimed so it's recognized though this this is it this awareness And then we have the perspective on me and mine. The pronoun I is much more a statement of being. It's not so personal. Like I am is a kind of statement of truth. Because that's how... This this sense of I am is is in this uh, separate form, the human body. Consciousness that we're experiencing through this body. And then the, the pronouns me and mine, these convey this sense of me as a person, not just being, but my personal needs, my views, opinions. Now these are subtleties or ways of just reflecting, just observing. And these are such ordinary kind of words, pronouns in the English grammar. But this is where reflecting on them, you know, is is not we're no, no longer habitually using these because <clears throat> that's what we tend to do we our language especially our native tongue is uh, so habitual when you learn another language when you're an adult it's uh, it's interesting because it's uh, somehow it's it's not part of the you know, you know it's not a so habitually, assume that we we, uh, we know it, like for me, Thai is still, a, you know, it's, it's not my native tongue, so it, it's, uh, I've learned it in a different way. I've learned it by choice, not by just habit and culture. Where English, American English is very much <laughs> cultural, what I heard from the beginning of my life. So this is a a reflection on the way it is. and the, This ability to, before you think, before even I arises, the concept or the thought of I am, there's still consciousness, isn't there? So that's why this uh, deliberate and intentional exploration of thought, of just uh, these pronouns alone, you know, help you to put into perspective the, the thinking process. In the sense of a self, of personality, I am. I'd put in the context of in the fetters of mana, which is one of the last fetters to drop in uh, in the Arahant. Uh, mana is. is uh, this sense of I am, but it's not not like a it's not me and mine. I am. So then, in in uh, in observing this, this uh, when the Buddha, after his enlightenment, met the ascetic. Upaka before he uh, arrived in uh, Varanasi. And, uh, uh, and the uh, ascetic Upaka him what he'd learned and he said, I, I am the Buddha, the All-Enlightened One. <clears throat> so this was a statement, you know, in a, con- in a conventional way, a statement of truth. This wasn't uh, uh, an overestimation from the ego out of ignorance. So contemplate that. This this pure awareness then is the perfectly enlightened one, the Buddha. And then when somebody asks in the, who doesn't understand that, you know, cause to, to all of us, if somebody comes in here and says, I am the all enlightened one, we would do the same thing as the ascetic Upaka. Tell him to go somewhere else. because <laughs> occasionally you do get people coming here. <laughs> Claims that make such claims. They usually balmy But I'm, what I'm saying here is just for reflection. This is not Doct- Someto's doctrine or anything like this. Uh, anything I detest is being quoted, as Ajahn Sumedho says, and then. I am is the <laughs> and so it, what I say is merely for reflection, not for grasping uh, or quoting so this is what, this is my style it was contemplating the reality reflecting on it, and so the very thought I is a, you know is something worth? It's a you know something that is part of one's cultural conditioning, language, and it's a and it's a one-letter word. It's, I mean, it's quite even. It's even symbolic in its form, isn't it? I is a, just one letter, one straight line, standing up, vertical line. <laughs> Which symbolically is quite interesting, isn't it? And then I am is, a, is, is, not, is not personal yet. When I, I say I am tomato, then the, the word tomato is personal. That's my name. <clears throat> I am Buddhist monk, I am American, I am a man, I am... And then I'm defining there's uh, qualities adi- added to the I. But in the reference to just being, I am It's not, it's not stating the, you know, quality of any sort, it's stating that it's uh, a reference to being present here and now, I am. Now, then the I am drops away, because it's 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 a creation arising, ceasing <clears throat> because one no need to continually announce one's existence <clears throat> so it it's just beginning to pay attention to the way it is rather than just operate it from the way you think it is or the assumptions or fears or habits that you've acquired. And so like Vipassana is looking into, you know, getting to the root of, see, getting beyond just the the, uh, the banal, the mundane, the ordinary, the, the the assumptions we make that are conditioned through the Sakya Titti, Sīla the first three fetters. Now this is, uh, you notice in the the news of the world, all the kind of problems that are created around identity with conditions. <clears throat> so the, the, uh, these cartoons that, uh, from Denmark that have caused so much distress in the world, is still going on. On the news this morning, they were in, in uh, Peshawar, there have been riots, and I think people have been killed around the Danish cartoons. Think why does, you know, in some ways it's it's so ridiculous in terms of the way we think here. And yet it's understandable on an emotional level of of identity, attachment, resentments, fears and desires that that we can all recognize in ourselves, so if you're very strongly identified with something that you hold very sacred and and should never be made fun of, or even you shouldn't even joke about it this in uh, culture there are certain things you just don't make jokes about. Here in Britain we make jokes about everything. There's nothing sacred here. You talk about Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles and so forth, you can slag them off any way you want and uh, you can make fun of them. But you wouldn't dare do that entirely <laughs> to the royal family. You'd really be asked to leave the country very quickly. But here, they, even the establishment figures—not just the foreigners—love uh, to to make fun of Queen Elizabeth. Prince Charles is, you know, in the political cartoons. And so that this is, uh, you know, the culture we have is very kind of. Um, it's a very vulgar culture <clears throat> nothing sacred but just noticing in myself and before i went to thailand you know the uh, the the sense of, you know, the proper etiquette in a Buddhist temple just never, I didn't know it, had never been trained or, or even saw it. So going in, into Thailand and training as a monk, then one of the first things you learn is never point your feet at the Buddha Rupa. And you're sitting on the floor and of course in America, this, uh, you can point your feet anywhere you, at anyone you want to, and it doesn't offend anybody. So, so, you know, you sit down and your, your legs hurt, so you stretch them out, and they're pointing at the Buddha Rupa, and immediately, you're told with, you know, don't do that. And, uh, you command it, you know, so, you've obviously offended somebody, without meaning to, because you just, it doesn't mean anything at first. But then after living there for 10 years and uh, being, and acquiring that perception, you know, and somebody in here, some I'm English person, stretches out their feet and points them at the Buddha Rupa. I do feel a certain aversion arising towards that person. <laughs> Now rationally, I know better. You know, I can justify. That they just don't know, and you know, you don't want to embarrass them. Or, you know, I can be reasonable and and uh, proper and polite about it. I don't go berserk and order them to. But I do. You know, I just notice. That it does bring up sense of aversion or annoyance, and that's conditioned. You know, after I was over thirty years old, cause Before, it wouldn't have bothered me in the least. Because in American terms, it's not rude. It's not, you know, it's nothing disrespectful about it. But this awareness then, if we develop and trust in the awareness, then we can be aware of how you know, how cultural conditioning affects us. Not not to put it in terms of should or shouldn't, right or wrong, but it's like this. And You know, it's uh, being a Buddhist monk, being part of training oneself within the conventions of, the, uh, of Thai Buddhism and, and one you know, acquires those, those kind of uh, attitudes and sense of, Propriety, what is right, what is polite, what is proper, what is praiseworthy. This is all conditioning, isn't it? So I remember years ago in uh, Thailand when I was with Ajahn Chah, I was just, you know, I think three or four Vasa monk, and the American military Air Force was still there in Uborn. And uh, we were invited, the Thai Air Force and the American Air Force officers together invited the monks and Donna in, uh, in uh, Uborn at the Air Force base. So I went with Ajahn Shah and, of course, the Thai uh, Air Force officers there's, you know, like generals, very high ranking officers, they wanted me to come especially because I was American. And they they were very proud of me that I was American Buddhist monk. And so they wanted to kind of show me off in front of the American Air Force officers. (laughs) So I went, and then with Ajahn Chah and several other Thai monks, we, we went and sat down according to our custom. And and then the uh, the Thai Air Force officers came and they bowed to Ajahn Chah. And, you know, they're so polite and so respectful. And then they came over and they bowed to me, and it was polite and respectful. And these Air Force officers are looking at me with horror. They didn't even want to look at me. And they could kind of pay respect to Ajahn Chah. You know, they could accept that. It's kind of part of their you know, pub- public relations responsibility, you know, respecting the local culture. And <laughs> when it came to me, they couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't speak to me. And And the Thai Air Force officers kept trying to, you know, push them along. And they just, you know, found me too weird, too strange. (coughs) That's cultural conditioning, isn't it? It's just, uh, one can accept a shaven head and a saffron robe as a part of some cultural thing. But when... You know, if you're, if you're, especially American military, I know how they think that uh, American men would never do that. <laughs> the last thing they're going to do is get on their knees and bow to me. <laughs> and then afterwards, we had a meeting and. Uh, uh, and they were, and uh, they wanted, and, uh, there were a lot of these American, uh, Air Force airmen and officers and those that were interested. And so we were sitting on the floor and Ajahn Chah and I were kind of on a higher platform. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, and I was translating, helping to translate for Ajahn Chah. And so some of these airmen would get tired and they'd stretch their feet out and and quite a few were just sitting there the whole time with their feet pointing right at Achao <laughs> 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 uh, uh, And so I felt this uh, aversion towards them. Ajahn Shah didn't, he just thought, that he just made, he kind of didn't say anything and he kind of joked about it. But uh, the point of this reflection is, that, uh, this is a conditioned thing, a version like this. You, uh, It's it's something that comes up through cultural conditioning. Lapata Baramasa. So in, in, uh, you know, this, this, this Pali word, second fetter, sila paramasa you know, is, uh, is translated usually as clinging to rites and rituals, but I put it on them, I mean, clinging to rites and rituals isn't really much, you know, it's too shallow an interpretation. It's clinging to conventions, cultural conditioning. Even Buddhism itself, you know, clinging to it, prevents you from stream entry. It's uh, stream entry is when you, you know, you're letting go, The uh, the insight of letting go. Second noble truth, the insight of letting go. And third noble truth of realizing the cessation of that which you've let go of. Realizing emptiness because when when there's letting go and there's no longer attachment out of ignorance then there's this emptiness or this non-attachment which is budget you have to know for yourself. It's not not something that uh, You know, you can even describe, letting go on a, on a rational level sounds too much like annihilation. Getting rid of. So putting into context how the rational mind works and reason Like the ability to reason, isn't it? Now, this is a this is a very useful tool we have, but as an attachment, it's it tends to it blinds us. We become reasonable, but reason it doesn't have any sensitivity to it. You know, being reasonable is very is up in the brain. It's intellectual. And so, uh, reasonable people oftentimes don't feel very much. They don't know what they're feeling because they're so terribly reasonable about everything. So it can be, reasonable people can be really irritating too. When you're trying to come from a heart level, what do you really feel? Well, I feel, you know, that everybody has a right to their own thoughts and feelings and freedom of speech People should be able to express themselves in whatever way they feel necessary because uh, freedom of speech is one of our great values here in Britain and in America. And uh, so, you know, we don't want to make laws or prevent people or block them from feeling free to say what they actually think. Now, that's terribly reasonable, isn't it? But then, you know, somebody says, uh, makes tendentious statements about what you hold of value, are very threatening to you personally. You know, if, if you're being reasonable about it, you may not really notice how upset you are or how what you're really feeling. So, in awareness. You know, the, both these things can operate together. We can be reasonable and unreasonable, like emotional experience is unreasonable. The emotional world of an individual is not reasonable at all, but it is what it is. <clears throat> we can be reasonable about emotions. Well, we we know we can't help what we feel. We We just have to accept it. Uh, and uh, be reasonable about it, not try to uh, kind of dump our emotions on others. It's just impolite, it's not proper, not good manners, to kind of dump your emotions on somebody. Uh, It's just not good taste. (laughs) And so, you know, people are too reasonable and they, they really, you know, you feel uh, averse, aversion to people like that. Sometimes you want, you like gut reactions or expressions of true feeling. But then we get into the other extreme of thinking that that we have to express everything we feel all the time or we, we identify strongly with our emotions. So my world is, you know, so easily, you know, affected by praise and blame, success and failure. You know, I'm just a victim of circumstances on the emotional level. So if People praise me, then I'm happy. People blame me, I'm depressed. Things go right, and uh, I'm successful, happy. Uh, if things go all wrong, I'm unhappy. <coughs> now, noticing emotional experience is like this: a feeling of anger, or, or. Uh, aversion or irritation. It can be extreme, you know, kind of passionate emotions or just subtle movements of feeling, like just slight sense of irritation or aversion towards some some little thing. But what puts all of this into perspective then is awareness, isn't it? Awareness embraces the Doesn't 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 cancel out one from the other. You can have your reasonable and emotional worlds operating at the uh, simultaneously with awareness, because it's uh, it's this embracing, it's the intuitive. ability of of consciousness being conscious and aware and wisdom is discerning the way it is so that discernment then is seeing that you know in buddhist terms all conditions are impermanent and not self but it's not grasping that idea anymore it's not not uh, you know holding to the the thought all conditions are not self. It's from the intuitive level then you observe change. To observe change you've got to let go of emotional ex- or, or, or rational habits. Not get rid of them. Now, let's just for your you know, to, to test this out, you know. what At this present moment, here and now, Pachubana thought, the ability to think uh, uh, using reason and logic, intelligence, emotional feeling of the present, if you if the people that are attached to to reason and logic usually quite cold you know they don't they don't feel very much because this is not a feeling experience if you're attached to to thinking reason being reasonable intellectual and so forth then it t- one tends to not notice feeling and one kind of suppresses it because it Feeling is not reasonable. Oftentimes feeling is messy and not you know, it isn't clean and and and, and uh, nicely ordered like reasonable thoughts, intelligent thinking can be. But it's an obvious truth, isn't it, that thinking is not doesn't feel anything. When you identify with with you know, you see the world through concepts and ideas and ideals, these are all thoughts. Then one can be very critical and judgmental about how you know, the Muslims shouldn't be so, you know, they're committing these acts of violence, getting so upset over some ridiculous cartoons. You know, it's just not reasonable, is it? Reasonable people wouldn't, you know, we just laugh at them and think, oh, Or if you know they were, uh, you know, cartoons about uh, blaspheming Buddhism, we—I think most of us would be quite reasonable about it. We wouldn't go around and burn down the embassies. (laughs) At least the Buddhists here. They just don't know any better, no. but, <laughs> but that 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 faculty of reason is highly developed in the West, in modern education, <clears throat> where so many of the Muslim countries are. You know, people are illiterate still. In, or their education is basically uh, one of through uh, a Muslim education, and and so the whole, the strong emotional ties, the the strong heartfelt emotional passions around their religious convention have never been questioned. You know, not they're not put into a reasonable uh, context. Now we all have our unreasonable points, isn't it? We all have our, what they say the buttons that get pressed where all our reasonableness and, you know, good manners and and being politically correct and proper fall apart and we kind of lose it, blow it. We become totally unreasonable, hysterical, panic-stricken, angry, demonic, demented mad crazy <laughs> so, so it is impor- important isn't it to understand how this how, how the human mind how it works you know to get to understand it to know it is <clears throat> not is not a is not a cold, uh, kind of, uh, scientific attitude towards the human heart. And just say it's all, all conditions are impermanent and all dhamma is not self. It's some kind of dismissal of everything. Because then you're not doing, you're no, you've misunderstood that you're not, you don't understand at all. <clears throat> and that's not right understanding. So, feeling then, when we're investigating the five khandhas, sukha, you know, vedana, tukha, vedana, atuka, matsukha, vedana. Vedana is, is to be reflected upon, observe sukha, dukkha, and neither pleasure nor pain. Attraction, aversion, and neither attraction nor aversion. Now this is to, not to form opinions, or, you know, preferences, but to observe the forces that that are affecting uh, these conscious forms that we're experiencing right now. Because this is a realm of feeling. The sense realm is a feeling realm. It's beautiful, ugly, and neither beautiful nor ugly. It's a realm of pleasure, pain, and neither pleasure nor pain. Just contemplate if this is the way it is. The sense have, uh, through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. We're experiencing pleasure, pain, and neither pleasure nor pain. Now this is under the category of vedana. Feeling. <clears throat> now we can be aware of feeling. You know what you're feeling, don't you? If you're aware, you know whether you're feeling happy or sad or neither happy nor sad nor <clears throat> elated or depressed. And awareness is a, you know, on the rational level, and we can judge it, you know, if I'm, fe- if I see, you know, feeling depressed, then my rational mind can come in and say, um, you know, you shouldn't be depressed. Uh, you should be happy for life. You know, you, what's wrong with you for being so depressed? Or I can make a case for being, because life has been so unfair to me. I haven't been respected like I should have been. I didn't get all the breaks in life that some others have had. Uh, life has just not treated me properly and it's not fair and so I can justify my depression and my despair through rationalizing it or thinking that there's something wrong with me for feeling because a normal healthy man wouldn't be depressed according to some ideal of what a healthy man would be like well, my my ideal of a healthy man is he's not depressed really <laughs> so so then if i am feeling depressed i'm not a healthy man, so it goes into that you know the identity the uh, that this depression, this mood, this feeling is me it's mine it's judged as something bad and it shouldn't you know, it's not a good state of mind. I can blame it on circumstances. It's not really my fault. It's just because uh, you know, uh, you know, not being treated properly and not having the breaks that that I should have, that I deserve, and not being really understood and appreciated by my family and the society. Or I can just say, well, it's just my fault. I'm just an you know. A bad egg, I'm just, you know, hopeless case. But wh- what is all this about? You know, it's a. There's no understanding here. There's the feeling, there's the rationalization, there's the identity. So this is ignorance or avidya. Avidya is the cause of suffering. So if, you know, say ideally if, you know, if, if some of these Muslims that are so upset by these cartoons that are Committing violent acts and anger and protesting and and carrying banners, kill kill uh, Danes and that, <laughs> not the Swedes. <laughs> You're okay. <so. laughs> Seldom in my life that the Danes have, have been the despised group in the world. <laughs> I think it's the first time. But, you know, if you could get them to reflect on this, this blaming and his attachment to his Sila Bhatta you're just t- too attached to being Muslim. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they, it's not just not a part of their experience of life that that reflective ability. And this is one thing where in uh, Buddhism, where they, you know, the first precept, brahmadibata, not intentionally killing another human being is uh I mean, I really like that because that that's the very first precept a moral precept, so i mean it's you know if somebody denigrates the Buddha and tries to destroy buddhism and and uh you know whatever no matter how one is feeling, one can never justify in killing another human being, morally. So one could justify killing, you know, somebody who's trying to kill off all the Buddhists, destroy Buddhism, denigrate it, and then of course this would bring up, maybe some of us would feel like killing such a person. I could certainly feel like it. I've certainly, you know, can fear, get myself into a state where murder seems to be the the right thing to be doing. <laughs> it's not that, you know, I'm beyond that. I'm so more highly advanced that that uh, murder has never occurred to me in my life. And, but this precept, uh, is very powerful one. Not to intentionally kill anyone. And so this is, this is the moral commitment. It doesn't say, uh, well it's alright to kill people who are killing Buddhists. There's no exception. <laughs> a few years ago in Thailand, uh, when the communist movement was was still strong there and there was one monk who is quite famous, he's getting very popular and uh, he was always in the news, he's quite you know, somebody that loved uh, attention and, and he made a statement that, it you know, this is a Buddhist monk, said that it was alright to kill communists <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reaction of the whole country, I mean, that, that monk all had to kind of hide away for years. <laughs> because even though you know, there was this fear and, and an aversion, you know, and uh, around communism at the time, uh, the Thai mentality then didn't, didn't couldn't support the idea of killing and just, a, you know, a monk saying it's all, you know, it's... Uh, in this case, it's, it's okay to kill the communists. <clears throat> Even though, you, you know, and there's a part of us that might feel, would like it to be okay. You know, if you, you'd like to justify, uh, morally justify, you know, uh, violent acts. so but then we can see what happens when when you know it's all right to kill your enemy or kill uh, criminals or kill the bad people uh, or kill the the uh, riffraff get rid of the vermin you th- get rid of the old people get rid of the mentally handicapped Then this can all be very reasonable. We can make reasonable, intelligent cases for euthanasia or for genocide. So reason and logic can't be trusted. It's a a limited function. Emotional reactions can't be trusted. Because they're habits, they're conditioned into us. <clears throat> but what you can trust then, the only thing you can trust then, is the awareness. This is the, so, recognizing, realizing this is the whole point, like in the Four Noble Truths, this is what you're doing you're exploring suffering and the causes of suffering. If you really do that, it's not a rational process, it's it's uh, reflective, it's jnana, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a knowledge, a direct knowing. Of the way it is, and so, and these this five khandhas, then are are knowing these five khandhas for what they are. What is it that knows the five khandhas? That can be aware of five khandhas? What is it that you know? The six ayatanas, the ayatanas, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, consciousness because this is how we experience consciousness isn't it through the through seeing hearing smelling tasting touching thinking so in vipassana you're exploring investigating these five khandhas and uh, six ayatanas and th- this this is these are not just kind of um, you know a thinking process. It's it's uh, trusting, you know, observing, witnessing. And the first noble truth, Duke, there is dukkha, is the rational, is the statement, isn't it? That's the that's the intellect. And then suffering should be understood is the prescription. is saying what to do with this suffering. You always have to recognize that there is, there's suffering. And it, this isn't uh, just some kind of uh, intellectual, say, of course there's suffering, everybody suffers, which can mean that you're just, you know, thinking the, and, and going along with the idea of suffering, but not really observing suffering, your own suffering, your own sense of insecurity or feeling of inadequacy or incompleteness or doubt, or, you know, these are the milder forms. So there is suffering, there is, suffering should be understood, telling us what to do about it and then then the suffering has been understood is the third insight. So each noble truth has three insights, three aspects. And it's that it's that paradigm, isn't it, of the statement of the you know, the an intellectual statement, what to do with it and the result. The result the butti-waiti is the result. And that's, that's an intuitive sense, you know, you're really, you know, the result of knowing insight that suffering has been understood. But these are not, you know, notice how it's the, 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 the sequence of the the, the word, the statement, the prescription, and the results of practice. And in the, the second noble truth, suffering, there is the origin. Samudaya. Dukkha Samudaya. The, the origin. This is looking more closely at the causes of suffering which is attachment to desire. So, you you know, this is, it's a statement, the statement point, there's a slightly different emphasis than the first, there is dukkha, there is the origin of dukkha. And it says, there is the the origin of dukkha. It's, It's a different, you know, a different kind of slightly different way of looking at the same thing origin. The cause of suffering is what? So then it's there's very clearly attachment to the three kinds of desire Gamadana, Pavadana, Vipavadana. And then the second insight is these should be let go of. The causes of dukkha should be let go of. And then the third insight, the causes have been let go of now, on an intellectual level it has you know it does sometimes you don 't quite understand it because it is it 's a reflective pattern this is what reflective meditation is about in investigation or vipassana, insight into the way it is. So it's uh, it's quite, you know, it's very skillful, this, this uh, Four Noble Truths teaching. And it's very simply put, you know, it's very clearly stated. And then, uh, so letting go. Paha dupanti, he said, the causes should be let go. Paha, in Pali means to put down or let go of something, doesn't mean destroying anything. Like, you're holding something tight and there's a let go means to just relax your grip, let things be. <clears throat> and the paha and the pun, like should be put down or just put it aside or something like this rather than let go. Uh, in English, some of the people tend to see that as uh, when we think you should let go of something I mean you should get rid of it. And the way that so many people's mind work is you say, let go of something means you've got to get rid of something. Destroy it. Throw it out. But that's too severe. That's 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 usually with aversion, isn't it? When you, you've we got to get rid of something, there's aversion there. I've got to get rid of desire. And then that means... I've got an aversion. I'm afraid of desire. I've got this feeling that it shouldn't be, and I've got to destroy it or let go. Should let go, pahada Pandi Should let go. I mean doesn't mean destroying or getting rid of it. So in this, you know. Uh, one of the great monks of Thailand was asked about did people, you know, his monk's supposed to be an Arahant. Everybody considers him an Arahant. They said, well, do you still experience anger? And he said, uh, yes, but I don't grasp it. Interesting, isn't it? Do you think of a arahant as, you know, this kind of a, a saint, you know, the anger, it would just never arise in consciousness, your soul outside that. Or to, to know immediately, to have this awareness where anger arising, you know it, so you don't grasp it. So this is the value of mindfulness. It doesn't, it's not a destruction <coughs> or a rejection of anything whatsoever. Purification doesn't mean, you know, kind of sterilizing the world. So all the germs are, everything is, you know, like cl- cleaning with, you know, with all these uh, bleaches and agents that completely destroy any living thing. <laughs> We might. We sometimes we don't know. We we think purification and and uh, uh, you know sanitation are the same thing. But even through all our efforts to be sanitary, we're destroying the planet, aren't we? The ecology. <laughs> As we we let loose all these poisons that kill everything into the environment. So recognising that this that is is putting down, letting, putting aside, letting go, you can still even look at it, but you know your relationship to anger now is, is it's recognizing it, understanding it, it's not attaching, identifying or reacting against it. Because in this realm of feeling, isn't it, anger, when the conditions for anger arise, this is what, what you feel. You know, that, this is where the, you know, the, the certain conditions where anger will arise. It's our karma. I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma. <clears throat> so if somebody sits there and points their feet at the Buddha Rupa. It's my comma to feel like this. But the, the awareness then there's not, you know, you know, it doesn't grasp the feeling. Now this is subtle, you know, but it is uh, but it is also quite simple. It's, uh, it's where you have to, to trust in awareness because It it can't be. I can't. You know, it can't something I can't give you, or you have to. You know, that you get from outside. It's it's natural to you. Just learning to recognize and value, appreciate, uh, respect this awareness as your as a refuge. In which then the. Conditioned world is is understood. There's no longer a threat, no longer a, uh, something that that we take sides with or or you know try to control anymore, try to bend it to our will out of fear, out of conceit. Then the third noble truth, uh there is a cessation, there's cessation of dukkha. <clears throat> dukkha niroda. Niroda is cessation. And that's the statement, isn't it? That then the the prescription should be realized. And the result of that of realization is cessation has been realized, is realized. Now cessation is real. All conditions cease. So you're you're really noticing this this the absence of things rather than putting all your attention on the presence. Usually with dukkha one is just reacting to it. You don't, you aren't aware when there is no dukkha. You tend to, you know, one is, you know, caught into, one feels alive through attachment to the conditions which always disappoint us, which always uh, uh, make us feel inadequate or dissatisfied or incomplete. So the, you know, we're always going from one thing to the next. We don't, we aren't patient enough to notice, to be aware when there's no dukkha, when dukkha has ceased. And so this is a encouragement to be patient with desire, put it down, recognize it, it, and desire natures to cease, it ceases. Cessation of suffering has been realized. So realizing it, this uh, reality, it's real, cessation is real, which is not an annihilationist viewpoint. When, when you let things cease according to their nature, then That's bliss, it's not a a kind of annihilation, a a stripping of everything into nothingness. So cessation has been realized. And then the path, the the fourth noble truth is samadhiti, samasangapo, Right understanding. The avicca the is no longer the. the uh, what we are operating from. Vija doesn't have the dominant role in our consciousness. There's vija. There's right understanding. So then uh, this is how to daily life. With, with awareness. This should be developed or cultivated. And this has been cultivated. So the, this Pawana is the, is the prescription, there is the Eightfold Path. This should be realized. This should be developed, rather. So this developing or cultivation is translation of Pawana, which in Thailand is used for meditation. So this this bhavana is, is this is where Bhavana really begins. Uh, so notice how sometimes how we grasp Buddhism is in, in, and exalt it so highly that we we uh, we make it too difficult, too high up, and we see ourselves always from too personal and too critical a position, too cultural. The tainted by our individualism, our sense of me and mine so that's why I, I encourage you to challenge that to really listen to me and mine, me somato, what I think and my view and what I feel and my life and, and they and to to listen to this, this, uh, this self, this, the way I create myself and the, the limitations or fears or criticisms I have about myself as a person. <clears throat> now I'm just not trying to say that, uh, that, judge that, but recognize that that's a creation. Myself as a person is a creation, is a habit, And that which is aware of this sense of myself is not self, in other words. But it's real. It's not imagined. It's not a kind of playing games with my mind. It's not kind of, you know, trying to look in, in, getting too refined or too, you know, trying to delude myself, but it's a recognition of the way it is, it's Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. So, in regards to stream entry and all these words get so exalted, Nibbana, because uh, when we interpret them from the self-attitudes, the cultural conditioning, the hierarchical structures of thought, our value systems and all that, we get it all wrong. You know, we we miss the whole point of the and the profundity of the Buddha's teaching. So it's letting go, you know, there's a these these are the artifices that we've acquired after birth. These are very artificial conditions. That we're bound to and limited by, and yet they're, they're illusions. And so if you operate, if you practice Buddhism from illusion, you, you create illusions around Buddhism. And that's, it's, you know, you've missed it. You kind of become a Buddhist maybe and, and like it. But, you know, after years, it's still you don't feel all that much change because you you haven't you haven't uh, gone to the source of the cause of suffering. You merely become a kind of uh identity with the convention. So I recognize the Four Noble Truths is is breaking down the convention, not destroying it, but putting it in the context to where the conventional realities are no longer <clears throat> our identity, no longer bound, limited and and reactive, according to the conventional uh, conventions that we happen to be using or that we we like or we prefer.